2020 Album of the Year show. We're doing it. We did it last year. We're doing it this year. Welcome to the Art School Albums Podcast. My name is Case Lowe. If you're a new listener, thank you for joining us. Uh, Typically, this is an interview show where a guest comes on and talks about an album they like, a brilliant concept, I know. If you're a returning listener, thank you for joining me. Thank you for making it through the one-year anniversary and beyond of this show. And thank you for listening to what will be the last episode of 2020. We're going to take a two-week break at the end of the year. The next Thursday is Christmas Eve. The Thursday after that is New Year's Eve. For the love of God, you do not need to be listening to me on those two days. Stay home. Stay safe. Do something more productive with your time. So we're going to end the year that was 2020 here. I'm going to run down what I thought were the 10 best albums of the year. This year, I'm not breaking any news. Oh my god, uh, so many things went wrong at so many different points. It seems like right when we're about to hit an upswing, we get some devastating news that something awful has happened somewhere, and it's been it's been an exhausting year, so I'm glad we're here. We've made it through it. The hard part is over. Now we can transition into 2021, where, uh, God, I hope things are going to be at least a little bit easier. I don't know if anything is going to be fixed. I don't think things are going to magically get better overnight, but we have to start somewhere, and we can start in 2021. So this is the 10 best albums of the year. I'm going to run them down album by album until we get to number one. At times, I will be defending my picks. I think my number one album this year is a bit of a controversial pick. I think there are going to be times where I am urging you to perhaps check out an album that you have not heard. Maybe it slipped under your radar. Maybe it's not a genre you are necessarily accustomed to. And I am going to lead you to the light there. And let us start with our number 10 album of the year. This is Impossible Sub by Maxwell Stern. Underwater tower shadows on a side street. Metal neck concrete and left a bitter bruise. And I drove back wounded, filled with wanting. Simmer sweetly under an April So like I said, number 10 album of the year, It Is Impossible Some by Maxwell Stern. This came out on September 25th of this year, and it was put out by Lauren Records. And I had Maxwell Stern on the show to talk about this album. I had Maxwell Stern on the show. I had Same the Band on this show. They put out an album called Plastic Western. And I also had Owen Mysteriovich from the Chicago band Paddlefish on this show. If you would like to go back and listen to some bands, talk about the music they made this year. But I have Maxwell Stern at number 10. I think this is such a beautiful album. The high points on the record, the song you just heard, Water Tower, I think a song like Pull the Stars Down, I think Born at the End of the Year. There are just so many times throughout what is a, a pretty short album that I think Maxwell Stern hits the nail on the head when he was on the show. I mentioned the fact that, man, you know, Water Tower as a single came out in March which is crazy because I just feel like that song has just been with me for such a long time now. 
but obviously in the grand scheme of 2020, March does feel like forever ago. Max talked about how the music video for Water Tower, which is on YouTube, was filmed in Brooklyn, New York on approximately March 7th or 8th, which I don't know if anybody follows global events, but I would not want to have been in Brooklyn in early to mid to late March. So they filmed this music video. There is a real almost last-ditch effort sound on this album of a pre-pandemic bliss, just not even taking things for granted, because I don't know if it's fair, because I have two voice cracks there, but this is a solo show and we're going to keep going. I don't know if it's fair to say that we took live music for granted or we took small gatherings for granted, because the idea, even in January, that... Social gatherings as a whole would and should stop is just a mind-blowing concept, and I don't know if any of us had ever fully calibrated this idea. And so Maxwell Stern's album, although it came out in September, and although the first single was released right after things were shut down for the first time, when we were all afraid of this pandemic rather than just living with it and, you know, some people still choosing to ignore it, which blow, blows my mind. Maxwell Stern makes this album that just has this jaunty element to it that I like and that I miss, and it sounds like old times, and it sounds like the past. And while I am all for pushing things forward, not relying on nostalgia to carry us home, to carry our good moods, to carry our good vibes... In a year like this, it is nice to think about February, January, December of 2019. I mean, I remember December of 2019, the 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 consensus in my life was personally, this was just such a god awful year for me. It sucked on so many levels, but professionally, not doing too bad. It seems like I'm moving my way up in the world. And then COVID hit, and then at the time, I was working a job where I was promoting live events. And that seemed to be useless after about mid-March, and, and now we're here. But the Maxwell Stern album, I would highly recommend it. You would just want to go all the way through. Like I said, I think Water Tower, Pull the Stars Down, Born at the End of the Year. Those are the strong points on this record. And if you'd like to hear Maxwell Stern talk about that record, talk about the song Tying Airplanes to the Ground that he did with Rap Boys, which I think is one of the most beautiful songs Really, not only all year, it's just one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. It is not on this album, but it was released this year. And if you'd like to hear him talk about the rise and fall of the, quote, emo revival scene, and maybe when the scene changed, when things started to feel a little bit different, that is all available on this show, on the Maxwell Stern episode. I would highly recommend listening to that if you have not heard it, and I would highly recommend listening to our album number nine of 2020. You idiots in your leather jackets and glasses You know I can still kick all your asses Harry, I had a thought If I dust the old axe off Maybe we could give this thing a real shot Let's get the old band back together again Let's get back in the room and let the magic happen Let's get the old band back together 
That was Get the Old Band Back Together by Christian Lee Hudson. And our number nine album of the year, it is Beginners by Christian Lee Hudson. This came out on Anti Records on May 29th. Christian Lee Hudson is a fascinating, fascinating individual. I think I told this story on the show last year when we were talking about Julia Jacqueline's crushing, which was in my top five, that when I went to go see Julia Jacqueline, and I know I tell the story about me getting scammed on Facebook, trying to buy tickets, and then the Reddit r slash Julia Jacqueline coming to save the day, providing me with a ticket to a show that was impossible to find tickets for, and then going and enjoying the show, and that was very nice. And, and I knew Julia Jacqueline would deliver, but what I did not know was that the opener, Christian Lee Hudson, this guy who came out on stage with an acoustic guitar and a sweater and sat in a swivel chair, almost a la Nirvana Unplugged, would go on to produce one of the most entertaining live sets that I've ever seen. He did an interactive Q&A throughout the set that was so painfully ironic and also deadly serious at the same time. I found his set to be emotionally gripping with the songs that he would play, but in between songs, he was so devastatingly funny, and I I knew from then that Christian Lee Hudson was a guy that I had to pay attention to, and now we get his first full-length album as a solo artist. Like I said, it is Beginners. It came out on May 29th. It was produced by Phoebe Bridgers, a name you'll be hearing a lot on this show, and I, I this was a late addition to my top 10, something that when I did my final listen through of everything yesterday, Not something I had in the top 10. It was in the bubble. It was a contender. And then I ended up listening to this album all the way through, and it bumped out a few of the records that I thought, eh, that's probably a top 10 album. Then I listened back to them, and I'll just give you my honorable mentions right now. It includes Idols, Ultramano, Trace Mountains, Lost in the Country, and the Dogleg album Melee. I think Christian Lee Hudson had a better album than any of those three artists this year. It is like gentrified Elliott Smith music. It's clearly someone who was inspired by Elliott Smith, but grew up in a nicer part of Los Angeles, tends to live a cleaner, healthier lifestyle compared to Elliott Smith. And that's not a knock on Christian Lee Hudson at all, because this album is full of so many great tracks. I think the lead single, Lose This Number, was phenomenal. And then you've got Get the Old Band Back Together, which I heard live, and I knew that was going to be my song from him. There's also the song Unforgivable on this album. I would not only recommend the album version, which I do think is very, very strong, but I think there is a better version of it out there, and that is the Audio Tree Live Session, that Christian Lee Hudson did, and that unforgettable, uh, unforgivable song is under the name I Just Can't Fucking Do It Anymore, and that version pulls a little bit more out of me. I think that is a more gut-wrenching, a more heartache version of uh, really anything on this album. I think that, that live audio tree version is just such a sublime recording, But this album, top to bottom, I don't think there's a bad song on here. I don't really think there's any wasted songs, wasted lyrics, poor choruses. I think it is all very strong. And what I found, and I think this was the real tipping point, was 2020 was a year where I felt like as a listener and as a consumer, 
I was diving really head on into the hardcore scene, and I loved a lot of the hardcore albums that came out this year. But there's a, a representation of a softer side on this top 10 that perhaps I was not expecting, but that is the stuff that really, as the year wore on, and I do mean it wore on, it was exhausting, that is the stuff that perhaps resonated with me just a little bit more. So Christian Lee Hudson, Beginners, that is our number nine. But speaking of hardcore, we go to our number eight album of 2020. Where I was wrong, the accents are Milspec World House is our number eight of 2020. This also came out on September 25th of this year. So not only did Maxwell Stern put out a great album on that day, but so did Milspec. And this came out on Locking Out Records. Like the, like I said, the album is called World House. A Canadian hardcore band, almost an oxymoron, but they produced what I thought was one of the most compelling in thorough listens. It is eight songs in 22 minutes, and there is no wasted movement, no wasted motions on this album. It is not the shortest album on this list. I will let you know right now. There is a an album that clocks in at 21 minutes that we'll talk about in just a little bit, and it is also not the corniest hardcore album that is on this list, and I think that was a, a valid criticism to some extent. I remember talking to Kevin Hare, who was on this show, talking about Title Fight earlier on in the year. Very popular episode. People love the Title Fight, and who could blame them? One, I just, oh, God, I, I've listened to so much Title Fight this year. I start doing the mental math of like, hey, you know, when shows come back, it's going to be... You know, best case scenario, fingers crossed, mid-2021, realistically later on in that year, and then hopefully by 2022, assuming there are independent venues, fingers crossed, because it's not like, I, I mean, the government can't help its most vulnerable citizens, it's not looking to help live music venues anytime soon, but I digress, but, you know, if there is venues standing, if there are venues standing in 2022, well, that's the 10-year anniversary of Floral Green by Title Fight. Title Fight's been on hiatus, but they're technically not broken up. Are we going to get 10 years of Floral Green? Is that going to be a tour? And if that is a tour, you can find me in that pit with my karate pants. I will be throwing spin kicks if Title Fight ever plays a show again. But for now, we have a band called Milspec, who, like I was saying, Kevin Hare, I remember talking to him about it. He's like, I don't know, this... This kind of seems corny. Like, there's just some lyrics in here that, for whatever reason, don't sit right with me. And I and I think that is fair. Now, it's not this overt machismo, tough guy, hardcore thing, but it's also not necessarily what you would expect from a melodic hardcore sound, which is how Brooklyn Vegan described them. Brooklyn Vegan did a great write-up on this album. I think Millspec, if you're familiar with the Touche Amores, or the law disputes of the world, and you're looking for something a little bit more, I think a band like Millspec is the direction to go, because I really think this album was absolutely terrific, and the high point on it is where I was from, which you just heard a little a little snippet of. That's a song that, again, listening to it for the first time, you know, the lines where I was from, the accents are strange, and the people are set in their ways, and I'm thinking like, well... 
that could mean a lot of different things. I'm not an, I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to get at there. Could that be uh, bad? I don't want to use the term problematic because I think that's a dumb word, but that, you know, it made me raise my eyebrow just for a minute, and then I found out they were Canadian, and I was like, well, it's, uh, everybody talks weird there. Like, that's fine. It's fine, guys, that Millspec was making a comment about some accents that people had. And really, throughout this album, I mean, that's a, a silly observation to make of an album that is really not silly in the slightest. It's really straightforward, melodic, hardcore. It is a sound that I am obviously very accustomed to, a sound that I very very much enjoy. And I, I think the entire thing is really solid. You know, it starts with Grand Design. I think When the Fever Broke, which is track number two, is terrific. And the title track, the closer, Song 8, World House, that is one of those. That is, you know, for me, an essential track to hear this year. I think where I was from, and like I said, the title track, if you are trying to compile a list of the great songs in 2020, those songs have to be on the list. I think those go a level above the the hardcore genre. I think those are very accessible if you're going to like this style of music. Now, you might not like this style of music, and that is, you know, fine. I think you're wrong. But that's okay. You know, we all have bad opinions. I've been criticized on this show routinely for not liking Frank Ocean. I can't help it. I just think he produces a very boring style of music that I have no real interest in listening to. So I apologize for the Frank Ocean sideswipe. He certainly did not ask for that during the Millspec World House review. But it's 2020. I mean, what are we going to do? This, this is the new normal. This is the new normal. I take shots at Frank Ocean. And he's got to deal with it. I know he's shaking in his boots right now, but what can you do? But I was shaking in my boots when I heard Mill Specs World House. I thought this album was absolutely terrific. And like I said, if you're dipping your toes into some more aggressive, not aggro, but aggressive music, you like Touche Amore, you like a band like that, but you're looking for something a little bit more, I think Mill Spec is the next evolution, that next step forward and that melodic, hardcore sound, and I thought they delivered the goods on World House as soon as that album came out, as soon as that record was brought to my attention by a friend of the show, Sean Sloan. I was like, yeah, that's a top 10 album, and it has remained there the entire year. I think it is it, it is so, so terrific, and that is really, I think, the melodic, hardcore representation on this list, and then we go in a drastically different direction for album number seven of 2020. It seems like now is as good of a time as ever to take my victory lap on Beach Bunny. They are my number seven album of the year. It is Honeymoon. It was released by Mom and Pop Records, and it was released on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2020, a pre-pandemic inclusion on the list. There's not too many of those, but Beach Bunny does find its way on the list. This was their first full-length album, and it was really delightful for me to see a band that I saw in December of 2017, pretty much three years ago to the day that I'm recording this, because it was the last week of my first semester of college. I walked to a very, very cold 
subterranean that night. I guess I walked to the train and then took the train, but I just remember asking myself, is this worth it when I was walking to the train because it was so unbelievably cold. And then I made my way inside to Sub-T downstairs. Radiator Hospital was the headliner, and they were terrific. But there was this band that I was unfamiliar with playing before them, a band by the name of Beach Bunny. I remember thinking as they started playing, I was going to say they went up on stage, but there's uh, downstairs at Sub-T, there's like a half-inch lift off the ground, and that is your stage there. And thinking like, oh, those kids look like me. That's, it's like, it's like one of, it's my, my age. Like, that's almost representation in a sense. And then they came out, and I thought they had this blistering set of fun, lighthearted pop punk songs. They did a cover of Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is what sold me on Beach Bunny entirely. I was really enjoying the set. And then they busted out this cover, and I was like, you know what, that is, that is the best thing I've ever seen. That is awesome. And that was right before they released the single Sports and then from there, I feel like I really championed the band Beach Bunny as one of my bands, which is odd considering that I am a 6'2 male and their demographic is not that. It is a, a, a softer demographic. I remember seeing them last year on Halloween being like, yeah, like this is not a, a dude show. Like I will go to shows where it's 95% guys and, and the Beach Bunny show was not that. But I just, I think they're terrific. And, you know, I saw them on Halloween last year. I saw them at my old job. Beach Buddy came in and played a set this year. And I'm not divulging any information. I don't think I'm speaking out of school to say that I spent most of my day with the band, with singer Lily Trifolo in particular. And they were the nicest people. They were they were so kind. They showed up with no guitar cases, really with nothing planned. They literally showed up in the building carrying an acoustic guitar, and I thought that was so great. And then I, you know, they were just incredibly kind. And when I had a chance to talk to them, I said, you know, it's it's great to see you guys here. I've been a fan for so long. And I told them the first time I saw them, and they were like, wow, yeah, that okay, that is impressive. That is really being a fan for such a long time. And I don't think I'm out of school for saying that. I just want to mention, like, these are really nice people that are doing great things. And before I talk about the album specifically, you know, they just released a single, Good Girls Don't Get Played, Another song that it was very weird for me specifically to be jamming out to, but that is the world we are living in. And there was an aggression on that song that I thought was so great because I fear as this band continues to make waves into, you know, finding their way into like a serious XMU or serious XM Alt Nation playlist, which they are very much in that stratosphere now. I do hear them on the radio from time to time that they are going to be encouraged to bring in the synth pop and the bedroom pop aspects to their work. And while I'm sure they could pull it off, it is not the direction that I'm necessarily interested from them right now, because I think they are a tremendous, tremendous guitar band. And that is what they do. And if you've seen Beach Bunny live, you know that when they play live, it's straight rippers. They do not waste time. They are an aggressively sounding live band, and I thought that really came through on the last single. So it's exciting for me that they're continuing to make music, and they're continuing to make music that I think is really interesting. I think the songwriting is absolutely tremendous, and I think that is readily available really all throughout Honeymoon. The song that I played was the opening track that is Promises by Beach Bunny, and the chorus there, you know, part of me still wants you, part of me wants to fall asleep. When you're all alone in your bedroom, you came like a reoccurring dream. 
it's not exactly Oscar Wilde, but I do feel like it is better than most of the songwriting that I am faced with in contemporary music. And I, I think this record is a win for everybody involved. Good on Mom and Pop for hosting the album. Good on Beach Bunny for making the album. I will say, if I had to make a critique of Honeymoon, it was originally my number six. And I made the change yesterday because I, I did start to go through the album. And while Promises in April and Dream Boy and Cloud Nine, I think those are absolutely terrific songs. The in-between, I was less than satisfied with on my most recent listen. Now look, it's the seventh best album of the year, and it's received praise from Pitchfork and the New York Times and all of these major outlets, okay? This is not a slight on the record. But every once in a while, you know, a song like Rearview or Miss California or Racetrack, it doesn't have the oomph that I think it needs. And specifically, when I was listening to it yesterday, it didn't pack the punch that I wanted from it. Now, that does not mean that those are not worthwhile songs, but in the emotional state I was in, which was, all things considered, a relatively good one, mind you, but when I was putting this list together and finalizing it yesterday, I said, you know, I think the album that I initially had at number seven, on a sheer volume of great songs, it is better than Honeymoon. And that is why Honeymoon is at number seven on this list. And that is why we now have to talk about album number six of 2020. Because we used to live here, and now they're blowing it up. You started crying as I was blowing it up. Montgomery forever and ever and ever Now they're blowing it up Montgomery forever and ever and ever Now they're blowing it up I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to not have a Front Bottoms album in my top ten? This is In Sickness and In Flames, August 21st, put out by Fueled by Ramen. These guys don't miss, okay? They're the best band of my lifetime up to this point. Although, the number two album on my list, pretty close. I think that band has a a very fair claim at that title. But for now, it is the front bottoms. I talked about last year how Talon of the Hawk was my album of the decade. We reviewed that album on this show with Nathan Hatfield. That was a very, very popular episode as well. A very long episode. A lot to get into when it comes to Talent of the Hawk. And if you let Nathan Hatfield talk, he will talk for a very long time, which is why we love him. And so this year, we are brought to In Sickness and In Flames. This is their fifth studio album. We have the self-titled project, Talent of the Hawk, and then they went mainstream. They went to Fueled by Ramen and put out Back on Top, Going Gray, and now In Sickness and In Flames. And I think in the pantheon of the Front Bottoms projects, it's better than Going Gray. Now, I, I thought people were a little bit too hard on that album when it came out, and it's been uh, unfairly beaten up on because I think songs like Bay and Vacation Town are really as good as anything the Front Bottoms have put out. But In Sickness and In Flames is a little bit more consistent. You just heard Montgomery Forever, which I will say now, if I was crafting a Mount Rushmore of Front Bottom songs, that song is probably in there. I really think that is as good of a song 
as they have ever released. And it's crazy because they were coming off of last December, around this time last year, where they put out Camouflage as a single, and then they had Everyone Blooms, and I believe Fairbanks, Alaska was also a single. Now, that, that last song, not as strong as the others. I would argue a weak point on the album. But this is a really interesting step for a band that seems very comfortable with being themselves. They still don't really fit in sonically to any straight-ahead, straightforward scene because they're not quite a radio-level alternative band, but they clearly now, with that Fueled by Ramen sound, have advanced past these scene bands, and the Front Bottoms are now very much existing as their own entity. I think the production on this album was much more favorable to the ear if you were a fan of the self-titled album or Talent of the Hawk. I think this is probably the best job they've done of incorporating that sound with the Fueled by Ramen sound. Now, I will say, Back on Top, a better album than this one. Back on Top is crazy underrated. And I think as time goes on, that is going to become one that, you know, another five or six years from now, People are going to go, oh, you know, Back on Top is is really, really good. It's actually, I kind of prefer to Talent of the Hawk. Now, those people would be wrong. That is a bad opinion to have. But Back on Top is a tremendous album. And I think it was so jarring at the time. This is right around the time that I started following the Front Bottoms. It was this heavily electric style. And, and people were just not ready for that. And now, and in Sickness and in Flames, we get a little bit more of the acoustic sound that I think drew so many people to the Front Bottoms. The thing with this album, there's a lot of stuff going on, and stuff is the word that I want to use, because at times it's these heavily electronic jingles, like in the first 10 seconds of Jerk, at times it is some spoken word outros from Brian, there's some sonic stuff here that I don't know if it, it is a result of being bored being in the studio for yet another time, if it was something they're experimenting with, it wasn't bad. But I don't necessarily know what the point of a lot of this was. It w Was Jerk made a better song because of the heavily electronic and filter-infused intro that sounded like Brian Sella was a robot? You know, I don't know if that makes things better, but there's the core of the album, Montgomery Forever, Camouflage. I think a song like The Truth, which, if you like Lonely Eyes by the Front Bottoms, The Truth is the next step in that evolution. That is a beautiful song. Even a song like The Hard Way, which is as ballady as I think the Front Bottoms have gotten. That's a five-minute song that, for the most part, is very slow. But around three-quarters of the way through that song, things break down, and you kind of get, you know, the closest the Front Bottoms will come to some sort of hardcore breakdown. It is not that but it is the closest they will come to that. And I think that is a super intriguing song as well. And then, you know, the album closes out with something like Make Way, which is not the Front Bottom's best song, but I think it is, if you are a fan of the band, that is a a song that you go, wow, you know, they, they are really going for it. This is something bigger and vaster, more vast than anything we've seen from this band before. I think that was maybe one of the complaints with Going Gray was, you know, it was a weak point, I think, for Brian's songwriting. Although Vacation Town and Bay and Ocean, I think, are great songs, it wasn't really the front bottoms. 
And now we've got this album again where it's like, okay, the front bottoms are giving the names of random people we don't know. They're telling obscure stories. They're hyper-specific and yet insanely vague at the same time. And that is exactly what I want from this band, and that is exactly what they delivered. I know Pitchfork just doesn't seem to get this band. They tore into the album on this review. I know the Katy Perry album that was released this year had a higher Pitchfork score than the Front Bottoms did. Did that hurt my feelings? Of course it did. Was I mad online about it? Absolutely, I was. I was fucking pissed, bro. But that is the Front Bottoms. It is an embarrassing fandom to wear on your sleeve, but it is one that I proudly do. And while it seems like, again, they've fallen into their own universe where maybe it's not that the rules don't apply to them, but they're not really dealing with the scene politics or the industry politics. And now it's almost up to the listener of like, Hey, are we going to still care about the front bottoms? And, and I think some people checked out after going gray. And if they did, I would encourage them to give In Sickness and In Flames a shot, because I think this is a tremendous album. So we get a little dose of some fun, pop-punk, jovial stuff with Beach Bunny. We get, uh, you know, the emo sound of the Front Bottoms, if you want to call them that. I haven't logged the Front Bottoms name into isthisbandemo.com, which is a real website. I don't know what comes up if you ask them about the Front Bottoms, but I do know that our number five album is... Strictly hardcore, almost to a fault, and that is Eco Strikes, A Truth We Still Believe, our number five of 2020. I see the games that you play, man, and I know what you're about. You're free to live the way you want, but you can fucking tell me. Eco Strike, A Truth We Still Believe. This was put out on July 24th by Triple B Records, and it wouldn't be my album of the year list. You know, this list covers a lot of ground. You have uh, a pretentious acoustic album in Christian Lee Hudson. You have a Front Bottoms album, which speaks for itself, and you have a cornball, hardcore, straight-edge album, and that is everything that this Eco Strike record is. I love this album so much. This is peak dumb hardcore guys yelling about how straight edge they are, about how, in this instance, how vegan they are. And I just think this record rocks. And I completely understand why there is a disconnect if you're not straight edge or vegan, which I'm not, although I wish I was. I It's, it's good that I'm not vegan because I think that would just... Be, it would be a lot for people to take in. Me, myself, and I is already a conundrum for the citizens of the globe. And adding veganism into that mix, I think, is a dangerous combination. But you have all of that. And then, look, if you're not into hardcore, I, you know, you're soft. But I get it. It's okay. S-A-W-F-T, soft. But, you know, it's not for everybody. But with this album, it just hit exactly what I wanted. The Florida straight edge scene is a peculiar one. Because I, I would not think of... Just the idea of straight edge being a thing in the hellhole that is Florida, but it is an eco strike continues to pump out great music from there. I talked a little bit about live music earlier on about bands I saw this year, which is, you know, I was just looking at my my videos on my phone yesterday. I have not been to a show since February 29th of this year, and that is really hard to believe. Now, assuming that show has ever become a thing again, I think eco strike is on the list in the top three 
of bands I would really like to see. I would put the other two bands ahead of them being One Step Closer, who I know we'll be talking about them next year because they have an album coming out in the spring of 2021, and that Wilkes-Barre Straight Edge scene uh, constantly produces rippers. And then you've got Fiddlehead. I love Pat Flynn to death. I have never seen him live before with any of his bands, and I would really like to see Fiddlehead, but Eco Strike is on that list. I think this record is perfect. It is nine songs in 21 minutes. There's no uh, there's no nonsense, okay? Every song is good, if not great. It is vegan straight edge. You got to get into it. You got to get into it. If, if you want Fred's, this is not the album for you. If you want a scene, though, where you can posture and puff your chest out and talk about how misunderstood you are, this is the scene for you. I love this record. I think there is so much good stuff on this album and it's one that when it came out I was listening to it from top to bottom over and over again because it's only 21 minutes which is a perfectly acceptable length for an album and I thought this song just rocked now if you're going to dive in if you if you heard the little snippet of Count Me Out which I think is the best song on the album I would say either start there because I think that album or that song rather encompasses a lot of what this band does well which are these very socio-political driven lyrics with these crazy breakdowns, or I would start with the title track, which is how the album concludes A Truth We Still Believe. I don't know if there's a bad song to dive into, though. If if for some reason the last 30 seconds of that song that you heard spoke to you, first of all, sorry for your loss. It only gets harder from here. It does not get better, but, but it is a great album. I think there's a lot of diving on points, a lot of entry points on this record, and it's my number five. And for a long time, this was flirting with being in my top three. It is not until I revisited an album for this show that I found it to be slightly better than A Truth We Still Believe, and then a last-second listen-through of an album, or number four, that said, you know what? I think I like that one just a little bit more, but this number five is not an insult. This is as strong of an album as there was all year. It was really close between this and our number four album of 2020. You don't even know me. You will not control me. Go ahead, disown me. Jeff Rosenstock dynasty, as we know it, crumbling. I mean, this is a guy that put out We Cool and then Worry. And there was some Antarctica of Aspucci records packed in between those two that I thought were album of the year contenders. And now we have No Dream, which was put out by Polyvinyl on May 20th. A surprise random release date this album was supposed to come out in, I believe, July. And Rosenstock as he's one to do, said, actually, we're just going to put it out now. And now he finds a spot at number four on the countdown, which just seems awfully low for Jeff Rosenstock. You know, Tom Brady, when he was on the Patriots, he didn't get backpats for making the playoffs. He got backpats for winning the Super Bowl. It feels like if Jeff Rosenstock is, is out of the top three, all of a sudden, we are in grave danger. Maybe he's run out of his creative juices. Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. This album, No Dream, it is... Marvelous. It is really marvelous. Now, in 2018, when Post came out, 
I think I was I was probably a little bit higher on post on initial listening, but as time went on, you know, that ended up being my number two album of the year behind Spanish Love Songs, and I just felt like as the year went on, I, you know, it didn't sour on post by any means, but it did not have the same luster that it once held with No Dream. I feel like this album has only gotten better as the year has gone on. There have been songs like Leave It in the Sun or the title track or B&B that did not really stick with me upon my initial listens of this album. But as the year has gone on and we have become more tired and more angry and just dealing with whatever, those songs have begun to really struck a chord with me. You know, this song, or this album, rather, it came out on May 20th, so at this point, we're two months into the pandemic, and it seemed like Jeff was almost throwing us a bone, like, hey, you know, we know it's been tough, here's this album, I hope you I hope you enjoy it, I hope I can tour it soon, because the fact that there's a Jeff Rosenstock album out there that he hasn't been able to tour is so bizarre to me. It is so weird to think about, and then a week and a half later, you know, uh, we had the George Floyd situation and that obviously led to a bunch of rightful protests throughout the country. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if anything was accomplished with those, which is certainly not a knock on the protesting. It's certainly just a knock on the systems we have in place. But all of a sudden it was this Jeff Rosenstock album that weirdly became anthemic and also just so dated all within a week's time period where it just felt like, at least for me, I don't know how it was for other people, but I really had to look inwards and think, you know, okay, have I been doing enough to combat this systematic issue? I don't think I have. So let me educate myself and do what I need to do to at least on my end, try to become a better uh, civilian for the world. And a lot of people posted their black squares and moved on with their life. And I think those people suck. And I'll say that now. I, I'm uh, real afraid of gatekeeping any sort of progressive movement. And I, I remember thinking the Blackout Tuesday thing was whack when I first saw it. But I said, you know, if this is if this is how somebody gets in the water, you know, let's at least get them in the water and then we can try to swim to our eventual destination. And I think most of those people dipped their toe in and then said, this is too hard and got out of the water. And I and I, I think it sucks. And I, I think it's noticeable, at least within my very small bubble of social media interactions, the, the people that, you know, really care about it and the people that moved on with their lives. And it, it's whatever. But I, I, I mentioned that in reference to Jeff Rosenstock, because while I, I, I am not looking to him as this guy that I agree with every single policy he wants made, I do wish that we had more Jeff Rosenstocks in the world than what we had now. I think he is able to use his platform in such a tremendous way. Jeff Rosenstock is someone that makes me think about a lot of things that I had not either previously thought about at all or had not thought about them from his perspective. And I think that is is a really important thing. And, and I, I listen to Jeff Rosenstock, and I at least hear him out when he is giving an interview or tweeting about things he believes in, because I, you know, again, I, I wish the world was more of him rather than what we're dealing with, uh, which is a lot of police saying, you know, we're not violent. Why are you protesting police brutality? Cut to pushing down an old man, cut to beating people with nightsticks, cut to uh, trapping Philadelphia protesters and tear gassing them. And the list goes on and on. I mean, we, it's just, it, it's so 
awful and scary to think about the the power that these people have, and, and seemingly we've just accepted that, or at least the powers that be, and I do hate the powers that be, they have accepted that as just a reality of life, and it, and it sucks. So whenever there's a Jeff Rosenstock album, I do think there is some sort of hint at political commentary, and I think whatever his next project is, we'll see probably a little bit of the, the influence of the uprisings over the summer, on that on that next work but this album just because of when it came out it was almost like Jeff Rosenstock's songs of the summer like there's so much on this album that is loud and anthemic and full of these rich choruses and the song that I played you know I think it's the best song on the album fame it's not even it's just an extended you know you cannot control you cannot control and it goes on for like two minutes but it, it blew my mind the first time I heard it it was so powerful and I love that. And then a week later, it was like, man, I got other stuff to do besides listen to a Jeff Rosenstock album. So it was, you know, a, a, such a kind thing for him to do, this surprise release, and that it was just this bizarre victim of circumstances. Obviously, obviously, there were bigger tragedies that went on this year. But it's okay, because Jeff Rosenstock ended up at number four on the countdown. And it seems like, for whatever reason, maybe it's him not playing shows, maybe it's just the state of the world, it seemed like worry had a lot more hype around it. It seemed like post was when he really broke through. It was like, oh, you if you're writing about music, you have to pay attention to this guy. And it seemed like No Dream was critically respected, but didn't have the staying power that a few of his other albums have had. And that intrigued me because for me, it was the exact opposite where, you know, I liked it when it came out. I really liked it when it came out. And now... I think I'm comfortable saying I love this album. I, I just think top to bottom, 13 songs, 40 minutes. It's all really good. It was in my top three for most of the year, either at number two, either at number three. And then I did a podcast with Tina Guarino, and we sat down and talked about Phoebe Bridger's Punisher. And I realized then that I would be doing myself a disservice if I did not have that album in my top three. Day off in There are three things that have seen their value increase, and that is dry ice, plexiglass, and Phoebe Bridgers. Obviously, the Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored at a temperature so cold you need dry ice. Plexiglass just exploded. There was a plexiglass shortage this year because so many retailers and grocery stores and this and that were looking for plexiglass to have between the patron and the or and, and the worker, and I don't think that that's going away. I think, you know, it's not like we're going to get this vaccine and then the plexiglass is leaving. That is just something we've weirdly become accustomed to. And the other thing is Phoebe Bridgers, who I think is the only artist that has really grown her fan base in a substantial way during this pandemic. Now, that could be just because of the, the lyrics in her songs, it's in, in a way we're all going through an emotional pandemic whenever we listen to Phoebe Bridgers, but there's just something about the way she has marketed herself, her social media, 
her live shows playing in a bathtub on Jimmy Kimmel Live. That was pretty freaking cool. She has just become, you know, the it girl in music right now, and I think that's great. And I think it sucks if you're going to try to gatekeep Phoebe Bridgers and say that the wrong type of people are listening to her or that you were listening to her with, you know, Stranger in the Alps or the EP that came before it. You know, but back off. It's Phoebe Bridgers, okay? We all like her. So let other people enjoy her as well. And I think she has reached new highs with Punisher, which was released on June 18th on Dead Oceans. My God, I mean, this this album I talked about with Tina Guarino, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about it here. But I knew when I was preparing for that episode, you know, obviously a song like Kyoto is brilliant. A song like Chinese Satellite is heartbreaking. I was a big fan of the song ICU and a big fan, big, big fan rather of the twang that was offered with Graceland 2. But really listening and digesting that album, which I thought I had done upon its release, but really getting ready for that podcast with Tina, having these songs wash over me. This is a masterpiece. I mean, this is a special album of a special time and place. It's another one of those, like, she hasn't really toured these songs. That's so weird to think about, but she hasn't. And it's going to be so exciting when I get to simp in front of Phoebe Bridgers in her own presence. Whenever she plays these songs live, I think it is going to be a tremendous thing. So now we're into our top two. I think if you know me, you know there was a Touche Amore album that was released this year, which means it needs to be on the list. It's like a Front Bottoms album. It needs to be on the list. Some of you might be thinking that is number one, but in fact, it is our number two album of the year, Touche Amore's Lament. When it's all too much to take, I'm works this fall on a portfolio for NPR Music for an internship there. A few days ago, I did get the rejection letter from NPR to close that chapter of this journey. But one of the things that I included was a review of this album. It's not something that I've talked about on this show, meaning this album, but it is one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. I I think the idea of Touche Amore if you want to classify them as a hardcore band, which I think they are, even if this album is not exactly in the eco-strike vein of hardcore music, it's not even really in the, the mil-spec vein of melodic hardcore, whereas a lot of prior Touche Amore releases have been, I still think they belong to that genre. But the fact that a band of this ilk has had five albums now, and all five great albums, I think they've really... I don't want to say they've gotten better as they've gone along because I do think 2013's is survived by is pretty much a perfect album and stage four, which followed in 2016 is also pretty much a perfect album. This is a, a slight step behind those. I think it's better than parting the sea or to the beat of a dead horse, which was their first album. I think this is better than those two, but just the fact that a band of this genre of this scene 
is now on album five. I mean, you just don't see that. Half Heart had two albums. Minor Threat had one full length in an EP collection. Title Fight didn't make it this long. Whatever era you want to pull from, bands like this don't have five albums. And these guys do, and they're all so, so good. With the exception of the Front Bottoms, I think they're the best band of my lifetime. They have proven that time and time again. I saw them last year in November. It was them, and it was La Dispute headlining. And that is probably the best show I've ever seen. That is some of the most fun I have ever had. And I miss that. I just It sucks to think that was already over a year ago. And I don't know when I'm going to see either of those bands again. I will say as a consumer, as a fan of this band and everything they had done prior, they challenged the listener on this album. I think with their debut single, Limelight, you really had a choice to make. You could dive into this new sound, which featured vocals from Andy Hole of Manchester Orchestra, and you could embrace the change in direction, or you could get scared, and you could run away, and you could run away from the sound, and that is not what I did. I embraced the changes. I continued doing so, and I'll be your host. And then by the time Reminders, which is the song that you just heard, when by the time that song came around, I was, one, already so into the new direction, and two, that song is... It's a, it's a more mature version of Touche Amore, because they have not ever had that simple sing-along anthemic song. I think they came close with Flowers and You off their last record, but that is really not what Reminders is. And, you know, I I, I talked with Jerry about this on Twitter. I asked him a question. He responded. It was very kind of him, but I was talking about how To Write Content, which is my favorite Touche Amore song, it was off Is Survived By, that song seems impossible to play live, because he was referencing how a lot of that album just doesn't sound great live. I disagree, but I'll let him think that, because he's the one that has to play those songs. And I said, yeah, you know, I I, I love To Right Content. It's my favorite song you guys have done. But I never expect to hear it live. It just, it's impossible to do. And he mentioned, like, that is the song where he learned that not every single second of the song has to be filled with his vocals and some witty line or retort. And I feel like for them to get to a spot where they are comfortable with a song like Reminders, it shows the growth that this band has had. I love them. I think they are, are are so good. And this album received Best New Music on Pitchfork. So they are clearly doing something right. It is amazing to think that for a hardcore band that is five albums deep, which is an anomaly in and of itself, that they are growing their audience. And I think that is terrific. And I, and I wish them all the best. And I hope we have another five albums from Touche Amore because they are a band that... Just I, the way they tinker with their sound. I mean, there's stuff on this album with a broadcast and a forecast. That's, I mean, just the audacity to do those songs. Uh, to ha- have almost an alt-country sound on a Touche Amore album for one song is mind-blowing. And the fact that they knocked it out of the park is even more mind-blowing. I love these guys. I wish them nothing but the best. And that leaves us with our album of the year, 2020. Not an easy year for anybody, but a lot of good music. You've heard the nine before this. I'll run them down briefly. The Maxwell Stern Impossible, some record, Christian Lee Hudson Beginners, Mill Specs World House, Beach Bunny's Honeymoon, The Front Bottoms with In Sickness and In Flames, 
Eco Strikes, A Truth We Still Believe, Jeff Rosenstock's No Dream, Phoebe Bridgers, obviously with Punisher. We just heard Touche Amore with Lament. There were so many other good records that just didn't find their way onto the list this year. I mentioned Idols. I mentioned Dogleg. Also bands like Charmer, bands like Trace Mountains. Spanish Love Songs, who I'm still uh, almost a year after that release of Brave Faces Everyone. Still not sure if I like that album or not. Almost had it at my number 10. Some days I'm not sure if it's in my top 25. Just a, a, a confusing year for that band. A confusing record that I still can't really figure out. But there is one album that since it came out right before the pandemic, it has been on constant repeat up and down the album. I was introduced to this band through this record. I am now a huge fan of this band. I hope I get to see them live soon. This is the Art School Albums Album of the Year for 2020. Gone for a month, make it years, make it years. No use for improvement, is the only one here. Fair weather friends, are still friends, till they go away. Now the house falls apart, cause I can't fucking care. You'll be fine. It was released on March 6th of this year on No Sleep Records. This is my album of the year, and I will defend this. I feel like there are albums on this show, whether it be the Touche Mori album or the Jeff Rosenstock album. If you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to, because I think that is... Uh, those those are albums that have uh, widespread acclaim, but maybe they just haven't seeped into your uh, playlist yet. Hot Mulligan is an album that I will defend. This record, you'll be fine. I have loved this album the entire year. I remember listening to this the day it came out on March 6th and really, really being taken aback by the sound of this record and particularly the vocals because you've got the jangly... A common emo sound of like an American football guitar, guitar, uh, a jangly sound. And then you've got this screaming like it's You'll Lives Above the Weather, which I think is the greatest screamo album of all time. And it all came together in this perfect concoction of an emo album that is like the best possible bad warp tour band. Like, I think if I saw Hot Mulligan play and I didn't know who they were, I might make fun of them because it has a sound that I can understand being faded to an extent. But I really think, I really think this is an undeniably great record. It has come at me in waves like it's a shitty Warp Tour tsunami. But by the end of it, we have made it out alive. And I think this record is so Good. The entire thing. 11 songs, 31 minutes. It starts with a song called OG Blue Sky, which is a dumb name for a song. The song that I play was called We're Gonna Make It to Kilby. Another dumb name for a song. But this album straddles the line between something that I'm starting to see a lot of in the DIY emo scene, which I'm admittedly not super stoked on, is it's getting pretty goofy. And I know it's, I'm not asking emo bands to take themselves seriously, but it feels like with the Carly Cosgroves and the hospital bracelets and these bands that I like, it seems like we're drifting 
into a territory that is a little bit too ironic for me. And Hot Mulligan comes out, and yes, they have those song titles that are like that and kind of make me cringe a little bit, like, ugh, am I really going to listen to this album? And then they come out, and they rip it, and there's no irony on this record. It is banger after banger after banger, and it's so great. It is so good. I remember listening to this album. I was in a car on my way to a work event. I had... Uh, I, I guess I would have had my headphones in, which seems like something I shouldn't have been doing because it was a work event, but I did. And just thinking like, this is this is going to be my songs of the spring into the summer. Then I'll probably go see this band live and it will be awesome. And I remember that night being at a bar in the Chicago suburbs. I did not necessarily have a good time at that event because it was the weekend before St. Patrick's Day and people were already celebrating the most pointless holiday that there is. But I knew I had this Hot Mulligan album that I could listen to on the way back to the office and then back home and then in my bed before I go to bed. And it was just like, God, it was so consuming. And it has really stuck with me the entire year. I think the songwriting on this album is brilliant. I think the vocals and the instrumentation play off of each other so well. This record feels like 2020 for me. It's the album that I've had pre-pandemic and now during the pandemic, you know, a lot of these records came out after March on my list. It makes sense because we were three months into the year when all of a sudden everything shut down. So most of the work has come after the fact. I think Beach Bunny is the only one that really had some time to breathe before things shut down because they were just about to embark on a on a national tour, a national headlining tour. Hot Mulligan was just right at the cusp where it was like, I remember we were making coronavirus jokes that night. Like, ah, it's, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to get coronavirus? Yes, most people did. Most people got the coronavirus, and it sucks. And I, I just, I hate this this world that we're in right now because there's just so much ignorance and willful ignorance at that. That's the frustrating part is the willful ignorance that is on display and I don't really have patience for it anymore, but I do have a lot of patience for this Hot Mulligan album. It is my album of the year. I think this record is tremendous. There is not a song that I can point you to that I think is better than the, than the others. I think We're Gonna Make It to Kilby and Digging In are my top two picks, but really the entire thing is just so good. So that's it. Those are the albums of 2020 that I would recommend you listen to. If you want to hear more of my musical uh, curating styles, I have on Spotify, and I will put this link in the description, the best songs of 2020. Those songs are in no particular order, but if you pay attention to the playlist, it is uh, one, th 1 through 10 is songs from this show, the 1 through 10 albums of the year, starting with Hot Mulligan, ending with Maxwell Stern, and then from there, there is another 50 songs, all by different artists. 50 artists, 50 songs, 60 in total, that I thought were the best songs of the year. You've got bands like One Step Closer in there, bands like Spanish Love Songs, Rap Boys. For as bad as the Morrissey album was that came out this year, I Am Not a Dog on a Chain, there was one song on that album that I really liked, and then some stuff that I thought went under the radar, Pay for Pain, Bob Barnett, uh, the the Corky album with Ian MacKay, Bright Eyes, Walter, etc., Tiger's Jaw, who have been putting out some killer singles lately. It is all represented in that playlist. So if you have made it this far, thank you for listening. Whether this is your first show or you are are a regular listener, I appreciate it. I I do. I have fun doing this show. It will go through. 
unless something drastically changes, at least through May of 2021, the show will likely end when I graduate college, as uh, the art school albums moniker will no longer feel fitting. But the goal is to keep it going through then. It would have to take uh, either some rapid career advancement or possibly some severe personal injury to derail this podcast, at least for the next few months. But here we are, the final episode of 2020. I am your host. I am Case Low. I am on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore caselow, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. And the podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Art School Albums. And this has been my top 10 albums of 2020. And I thank you for listening.